You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Imagine cold calling a C-level executive at a Target account where he or she personally picks up the phone and agrees to a meeting because they just happen to be seeking a solution like yours. Stop imagining and start dialing with DiscoverOr, the world's leading prospect intelligence platform. Visit discoverorg.com forward slash SDR to learn more. Hello, 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 everybody. This is David Delaney, another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am uh, very honored. My first uh, international guest on the show, which is very exciting for me, Mr. Mark Ridley, the partner at Transform Performance International. How are you doing today, Mark? David, hi. I'm great. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really honored to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to chat with you. Your book is coming out, The Salesperson's Secret Code, which I'm really excited to talk with you about because a lot of our listeners are very interested in what makes a great salesperson and how they can become a great salesperson. And Mark, for folks who are not familiar with you and your firm, can you give us a little background how you started the firm and, and what you've been working on uh, over the years? Sure. Well, yeah, thank you. Well, um, yeah, you might need to, you might want to cut me off at some point, David, because I get passionate about, about what I do. So um, it, the short story is this. I've been in sales all my career. When I left university, I ended up in, a, in the world of retail, which has its own particular way of selling. Then I ended up in financial services and built a, a career in the corporate world, uh, working with the insurance and the banking industry. And uh, I built and managed sales teams. And, and that was back in the days when uh, regulation and compliance were becoming the in thing. And that's, that's relevant to this conversation because that was the first time that I became interested in, I suppose I'll call it beliefs, values and ethics around sales. And it struck me that a lot of people who were very successful had some great ethics. And it struck me also that a lot of people who were very successful didn't. And that, that got me a thinking. Anyway, the time moved on and I ended up in technology. Uh, like yourself, I, I have a technology background because back in the uh, 90s when when sales was becoming uh, something that was becoming much more automated, that also interested me because I don't know what it was like over in the States, but certainly over here in Europe, a lot of the relationship uh, sales that had taken place in the days of the good old paper and pen, once laptops and computer systems came in, that got in the way of the customer engagement. And again, I noticed that a lot of the successful salespeople uh, couldn't really make the translation into the into the new way of doing things. And it made me realize that a lot of the beliefs about selling that a lot of older people had had didn't apply anymore. Uh, people had to change the way that they the way that they behaved and the way that they believed about what sales was about. And it was at that point, David, that I decided, you know what, I'm going to start my own business because this really interests me. How is it that you know some people behave in a particular way in sales and are successful and how is it that some people 
aren't. And that's where Transform Performance International was born. And since 1999, when my partners and I established the business, we have had a blast. We have worked in over 60 countries globally. We work with some of the biggest names on the planet, which we're very honored and privileged to do. And our clients fly us all over the place. And we talk about sales, leadership. We do a lot of executive coaching. And we've built a lot of intellectual property over the years, uh, which um, has stood us in good stead. And if anybody's interested, at some point, they could always have a look at uh, transformperformance.com to find out a bit more. But that, in a nutshell, is the journey that I've been on. Okay, that is really interesting that you've you've actually been able to see the transformation from, it was almost, a very there was very personalized in the past, uh, the sales process and mm. relationship-based. And, you know, uh, the salesperson held a lot of the information uh, on the product and the market, and they were they brought that to the relationship. And then over the years, as you said, it's become very automated. Software has come into play, and there were folks who could not make that transition. And that's that you saw that need, and so you started the firm. Exactly so. And I think it's, you know, I'm already, my brain is already working on what is the salesperson of the future, because I think the research that we have done and the lessons we've learned from from the salesperson secret code, as we'll share in a minute, I, I see as the start of a journey. You know, we've done some research, but what we, what have we done, David? We've basically, we've pointed a, we've pointed a, a, an iPhone, and other phones are available, but we've pointed an iPhone at, at the world of sales and taken the picture, but it's frozen a moment in time. But as we look at that picture, the world of sales hasn't stopped evolving. It's still going. And I think it's fascinating what's going on in our world. Just just one little example, you know, I, as a marketing guy also, I, I look at the way in which sales and marketing are now interrelated. And, you know, I think so much of the sales cycle is going to involve in the future salespeople having to be involved much, much earlier on in the sales cycle as, as nurture marketing takes comes to the fore and, and probably a little later in the cycle. But customers have insight these days, don't they, David? They have information. They have all the stuff that they, they believe they want. They want different things from salespeople, I think, in the future. It's fascinating. It has changed quite a bit. And, and a new generation of salespeople have come up and it it seems it's almost the opposite um, is happening now where there is so much automation and so much change happening that uh, they have sort of lost the ability to forge those human to human relationships to some extent <laughs> and it's it's all looking at your screen and texting and it, it, you know the the human relationship seems to almost have gone out of it to some extent at least here in Silicon Valley, it seems like. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I mean, certainly a lot of the people that, well, all of the people that we spoke to in our in our survey were still very much involved in a in a in a people uh, to people business. And you know, I think it's I think it's true that a lot of us have faced that automation. You know, a lot of us, a lot of the, the people that we were talking to in the in the in the in the research. They will be very familiar with what's happened with CRM over the years and, you know, the, the way in that's been implemented and the way in which that I think a lot of lone wolf salespeople have suddenly realized they've had to become much more interconnected. 
What we what we realized from our research, though, was that those salespeople who recognize that they are part of a wider collaborative unit where a, a cust- they, they cannot be the end to end point for the customer. You know, uh, those days are completely gone. But where those people realized that they were part of something bigger and wider and still recognize the part that they played in the process, um, I think we found people who uh, were succeeding. Yes. And and it goes back to what you said about how the customers have more information and the integration between sales and marketing is, is, you know, advancing. And so instead of just being that lone wolf, I like the way that you put that, the lone wolf who's out there closing the big deals and just does whatever they want, they really have to become more interconnected with what marketing's doing and product and in all different parts of the business, it seems. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if you know, if I take the way that the world of sales has been divided up over the last few years into the, into the, its constituent parts, many organisations that you will be familiar with in your part of the, of the world, you know, have have a a sales development role, and they will they will help to build that pipeline. Um, many salespeople don't do that so much anymore. But w- the moment they're involved in the sales process or process, as some of you folks might say, they actually absolutely come into their own. But there may also be in some organizations some kind of pre-sales role. There may well be a technical role uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. So the way in which these, these large deals are sold now are, are different. And I think the customers have changed as well. So, you know, you can no longer in many, in many kinds of sales say that you've got the client relationship. But, you know, it doesn't work like that anymore. You know, these days you're dealing with, you know, IT, you're dealing with probably possibly HR, you've got the procurement uh, function to, to, to sort out. You know, this is a very often a team effort. You know, again, our research indicated that those people who saw themselves as part of that wider system, if you like, seem to be the ones that uh, that are succeeding. Okay, this is a great takeaway in that, you know, it's it's all interconnected. And so folks who are in the sales field now or are becoming, you know, getting ready to become a sales rep, you've got to forge those relationships within your own organization, you know, get to know the people that are all, all involved in the go-to-market strategy because, the as Mark is saying, the, the successful folks bring that together. They orchestrate that. Mark, tell us about with getting the research gathered for the for the survey mm. where did you start and then what kind of data points were you looking for to find you know to find this secret code okay well uh, perhaps i could just go back and tell you a, a little bit of a story about 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 how this came about for many years, as, as, as I'd already indicated, my colleagues and I um, had worked with sales teams in a variety of different industries that would range from telco to, to the banking industries to chemicals, you name it, we, we, we'd, we'd, played in that, we'd played in it. And we, like many other businesses, had become very adept at delivering what I'll call skills and knowledge-based kind of development. Uh, A lot of sales coaching, a lot of sales skills, and many of your listeners who have gone through any kind of induction into an organization or ongoing continuous professional development will recognize what I mean. And that's all great stuff. But then came the days of of, of the beginnings of, of things like, uh, you know, sophisticated CRM systems, David. And, you know, 
some of that stuff is fantastic. In fact, a lot of that stuff is fantastic. And the insight that great CRM, well implemented, delivers to an organization, of course, is, is, is utterly brilliant. And yet... We were coming across salespeople who, some of whom, didn't seem to respond to the, 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 the opportunity to take on board new skills or make changes, who didn't seem to quite believe, if you like, in the value of, of, of things like CRM and, and, and so on and so forth. And that got us thinking. We thought, actually, organizations must spend billions of dollars every year on sales training, sales development, IT systems, all designed to make the life of the salesperson easier. And actually, there are still challenges. So it's not about skill. And it's something to do with behavior. And that's when we realized that actually what we were looking at was the idea that fundamentally, if you don't believe that you should use a skill or you don't believe that you should use something like a CRM system, then the behavior will be manifest as we believe, so we behave. And that is when we, we decided that we would approach many organizations and say, look, what we'd like to do is basically interview your uh, some of your salespeople. We realized that we were taking a little bit of a risk because we were asking them to provide us with insight into some of their best performers and some of their lesser performers. And I'll say, David, we never asked for top versus bottom. That would have been grossly unprofessional and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked. We asked for top performers and some of the others, but it's all relative. And basically what we did, we interviewed them. And the way we interviewed them was we realized that in order to get to the beliefs that, that underlie people's behavior, we, we couldn't be prescriptive. We couldn't, um, we couldn't ask them a, a structured questionnaire because anybody who's listening to this has ever done a questionnaire will know that what happens is that you end up trying to second guess the questionnaire. So what we did was we, we literally got onto the, the Skype or whatever medium we were using, and we interviewed them for between one and a half and two hours using a, a process that's known as clean questioning. And that is to say we used a very semi-structured form of interview, and we just asked people to talk about their world of sales, what it was like what drove them, what motivated them, what their challenges were, what the influences were on their career, what it was like working in their industry, and so on and so forth. And we built up, well, a, a thousand interviews, almost a thousand interviews uh, of two hours, where basically what we did was we transcribed every interview and we studied every single word. And we looked for patterns of words, patterns of thinking, patterns of belief, and that is how we came across the secret code. Excellent. Okay, so, and you mentioned this before, there were beliefs, values, and ethics. Is that how you, did you have three large themes, I guess, in, in the, as you put the research hmm. together? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I would say that the the ethics probably result uh, come from a result of having or holding certain beliefs. So, you know, let me let me give you an example. If I believe that um, it is my role to influence a customer by I don't know, shouting loudly and not listening well and making a constant pitch, 
then one might argue that at some point ethically, my my interest in the customer's well-being is less than perhaps somebody who seeks to influence by listening and being quiet and being reflective and and working with a customer to ensure that the customer gets the best experience. Because if if that person is behaving like in that way, then they are demonstrating that they have a desire for the customer's greater good. Now, you could argue that that's an ethical bias. Do I believe that I come first or do I believe that the customer comes first? So what we realized, David, as we interviewed these salespeople, we realized that what we were getting was was a pattern of beliefs that every single salesperson we interviewed spoke to. It didn't matter if they were top performers or lower performers. Um, They all expressed, I'll call them five core destination beliefs, as we called them. So let me give you an example. There There was a belief about fulfillment. Fulfillment. So every single person we interviewed said, you know what? Fulfillment to be is to me is about being successful. Now, when you dig deeper and say, "Well, tell me about success. What's that like?" That was where the interesting uh, the interesting developments arrived. But maybe more about that in a moment. But if you think about other beliefs that were fundamental to every salesperson, there was something that we called control. That's about accountability. Every single salesperson we interviewed recognized that someone or something is accountable for success. The same was true of resilience. You know, we all know what the world of sales is like today. And it was remarkable how many of the people we interviewed said, you know what? Challenge and adversity are just a way of life. I accept that it happens. It's how they respond to that challenge to their resilience that separates the the successful from the less successful. I've already mentioned influence. Every single salesperson talked about, about influencing customers, influencing their career and so on and so forth. And finally, everybody talked about great communication. Successful people know how to communicate. It came across time and time again. But how, but what is the difference? How do you communicate? And that is where we identified some big, big differences. If I take it a stage further, let me let me give you an example. Let's deal with fulfillment. You, many of your listeners may be beginning their careers or at the end of their careers or, you know, they're, they're wanting to succeed as a salesperson in, 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 in what they do. So many of your listeners will, re- will relate, I'm sure, to this belief and think about it for a moment. I am most fulfilled when I am successful. I'm most fulfilled when I am successful. So that's the, that's the destination belief. And most people will respond to that. However, what we soon realized was that the top 5% of our audience survey had a different balance of belief from the lower performers. And what do I mean by balance of belief? Well, if you think about being fulfilled in life, you could, you could be driven to fulfill, towards fulfillment because you have a fear of failure. If you think about it, many of us don't want to don't want to fail. We fear we fear failure. What we noticed, however, that the lower performers were driven more by a fear of failure than the higher performers who were driven more by a desire to be better than they ever thought possible, to succeed in ways they never dreamed of. And what we realized, David, was that 
if you take fulfillment, you are dealing with something akin to like a, a rocket on a launch pad. You know, if you don't apply enough thrust when that when those engines go off, the gravity will hold you back. You know, that's the fear of failing. But you know what? If you lift off and you go off into into the uh, wilds of outer space, you know, you'll go off course. You know, being 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 better than you ever thought possible is also something that you don't want too much of because then you you lack direction, you lack stability. And what we realized was the top five percent of salespeople have a have an optimal balance between fear of failure and being better than they ever thought possible. And when you can calculate and quantify that balance, you've got the first part of the salesperson's secret code. So any listener to your podcast might question, to what extent do I fear failure? To what extent do I behave as if I want to be better than I ever thought possible? What is the balance? Am I more fearful or am I more desirous of success? What is my balance? Interesting. If you get that right, you've got the first clue. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I've never really thought of it that way at all. I, and, yeah. you know, I think if, so you're saying if you take a step back and you think, am I more afraid of failure than driven by the gains of success? Or am I just 100% going toward the gains of success? And I'm not, I'm not even thinking about failure. If you don't have, a balance of those, then you might get off track it either way. That's exactly right. The okay. research indicates that the people who talked to us in the interviews who said, oh, I've got, I've, I'm not afraid of anything. You know, I will, I will strive for success constantly. Uh, you know, I'm better than I ever thought possible. Those people were actually just as unsuccessful as those who said, you know what, I am, I am afraid of failure. The balance of those who said, yeah, you know what, I recognize I don't want to fail. And I recognize that I, you know, have faults or uh, I recognize that there is something within me that, that, that doesn't want to fail. But I also recognize that life's a journey and I can improve. Those people are the ones who came out as the ones who were in the top 5% of performers. It was quite fascinating, David. What we learned was that, you know, if you think about it now, if you're a sales leader looking to recruit new people, you know, of course, you know, in an interview in the past, when you're wanting to interview salespeople, you would you would want the go-getting, you'd want the people who who were very positive and so on and so forth. Now, what we're learning is be very careful. Actually, you might want some people who said, you know what, dear interviewer, I am afraid of failing. Yeah, I want to succeed, but I also recognise that um, I don't want to fail. You know, how many people would turn up to a sales interview and say, yeah, I am a little bit scared of failure? <laughs> I would wager not a lot, but actually they're the ones you should be looking for. How many more meetings could you set if your team made three times more calls per day and connected directly to decision makers? How much bigger would your pipeline be if you booked 20% more meetings this month? Don't wonder. Check out DiscoverOrg at discoverorg.com forward slash SDR for personalized demo. That's so interesting because I know companies use assessments sometimes mm -hmm. to pre-screen, you know, candidates, and and I'm I'm sure that I can guess that that aspect is is not touched upon in probably 99% of those assessments because it's it's such a interesting uh, you know belief system that you wouldn't really think of. 
Well, it's it's interesting how it all pans out. I mean, I mean, we are actually in the in the process now of developing a psychometric because we've now taken all of the the data from the research, taken these five destination beliefs with these what we call ten journey motivators that lie beneath them, and we've now we're now turning that into a psychometric, which will be available probably from from the end of the year. But it is this balance of intensity, as I call it, is so critical now. I mean, take one other. Um, that is to say, let's take, uh, oh, let's take influence. You know, if you think about it, all thousand people we interviewed talked to the need to influence outcomes. Well, you'd expect that of salespeople. Of course you would. But what was interesting was that some of the lower performers talked about influencing in a way that – well, we, we in the end we call them the gorillas. If you can, if you can imagine, you know, a gorilla in the in the jungle standing up and you know beating his chest. You know, the belief was that the stronger I am, the more I will influence. And you might think that traditionally that was a good attribute for a salesperson. And I'm not saying that it isn't a necessary element of what a good salesperson is even today. But what we also discovered was that there were successful people who said, well, influence is about flexibility. The more flexible I am in my relationships, the more flexible I am in the way that I think about my career, the more influential I will be. And that goes back to what we talked about, David, right at the start of this conversation, that the, the flexible people who have adapted and changed are probably the ones who are going to succeed. It's the gorillas of the world who, who, who shout loud and beat their chest who probably are the ones who are more of the endangered species. But again, what was interesting was that there was an optimal balance between those two beliefs, those two journey motivators. And again, that's what the secret code taught us. The top 5%, we could identify the optimal balance of gorilla versus gorilla. And of course, right. if, any, if anybody, <laughs> if any listener wants to know what the answers are, you can always read the book. Of course, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely check it out. Communication. Can you talk a little mm. bit about communication? What's what's the optimal balance, or did you find an optimal balance there? Certainly did. Yeah, when it comes to communication, again, it, don't, it wouldn't surprise you to learn that every salesperson we interviewed talked in some way about the need to communicate. What was really interesting was, again, the beliefs that lie behind that. When you said to me, so... You know, you, you would ask, I said, we, we, we talked about clean questioning. Let me give you an example. So the interviewee might say to you, yeah, Mark, I'm, I'm, I, you know, communication is key to, to my role. And you'd say, OK, so communication, tell me about communication. And, you know, there's no structure there. It just goes off on, it just go off wherever they like. So many of the lower performers said, Words to the effect of, well, a great communicator gets their message across. Well, that's true. But let's, let me ask your listeners the question, is actually that communication or is that not transmission? You know, great communicators get their message across. Yeah, fine. That's an element of sales. Of course it is. But think about it. Also, in this world in which we live, this interconnected world, it's not always about simply transmitting. It's about being able to create a dialogue, 
create a dialogue internally with your with your internal stakeholders in an, in a sales organization it's about creating dialogue with customers it's about creating dialogue across your 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 network so in in fact what we also discovered that, that a lot of salespeople said well actually communication is about a continuous dialogue with my with my network i consider my customers in that network i consider other other professionals in that network but it's all about how I maintain, develop and nurture that network. So the metaphor, David, we came up with, we saw this stark difference between what we call the lightning strikers, you know, communicate, crack, you know, the lightning strikes and they're gone. Whereas we said that the people who were, you know, the ones that believed in dialogue, they were the ones who were there constantly. They rumbled like thunder. And if you think about it, Great communication. You know, you listen to a thunderstorm. The thunderstorm may not necessarily be over you this hour, but if you're aware there's a thunderstorm in the distance, that thunderstorm is communicating with you. If you think about that in terms of customers and sales, it's not every day that a customer wants to make a buying decision, but what they do want is to know that the thunder is out there somewhere. It's not interfering with them day to day. What they don't want is to be struck by lightning because that could be painful. Right. Okay. So if someone is, you know, new in their career and they're trying to build up that network so that they can begin to have a two-way dialogue and not just be a transmitter, <laughs> it sounds like an unfortunate world leader that we have here in the United States who just transmits and doesn't have any dialogue, but I won't name any names. But um, no, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't possibly make a comment about another country's misfortune. <laughs> okay, all right, we won't go there. But um, <laughs> if someone if someone's starting to build that network and they're newer in their career, so they don't have twenty years of experience and they don't know everybody in town and they haven't delivered results for sixty different you know countries and things like that, how do they begin to build that network and have that dialogue? Mm. I think it's a great question. Do you know you've just you you just asked me a question that transported me back to my youth. You know, nice. if I had if I could if I had my time over again, what would I do differently? And I think I learned late later in my career that the network was was all important. I, I, I think it comes back to beliefs. I think it's about believing that everybody in your network uh, has an importance. Treat people in the right way so that what is that? What do I mean by that? Well, you know, if you nurture people in your network and 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 show an interest in them from time to time and, and make contact with them, even if it's just to say, hi, how are you doing? They, they don't forget you. I had an example only this week that, uh, you know, I had a client that I last worked with in 2008. And, um, you know, we, 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 we've, we've sort of uh, kept in sort of touch from time to time and I, I you know got a message from him only this week say hey Mark saw the book was being published well done love to meet up let's meet for let's meet up and, and catch up and it's those kind of I think relationships that anybody who's starting out I would say you know of course time is limited but you know if you make the time to look after your network your network will look after you that said 
I think the other thing I would say is be mindful and self-aware as to what is required in certain circumstances. There will be times when lightning striking is suitable and appropriate. And, and re remember, what we, what we learned in, in the research for the secret code was that the top 5% of, of performers know when to strike like lightning. They have that balance of lightning strike and thunderclap. But it's, it's recognizing that anybody who just goes around striking uh, like lightning is going to make a few scorch marks, but they don't necessarily win many friends. So I would say I would say in summary, just be mindful of what is the appropriate behavior to the circumstances that you are in and and plan accordingly. So many of the salespeople that we interviewed, David, so many of them were were, were, were not as self-aware, shall we say, as you might expect for people of long tenure. They, you know, very often as human beings, we get ourselves into patterns of thought behavior behaviors that are, that are habits and we and we don't stop very often to analyze how we might be more effective and i think the successful people are very self-aware because they understand that through self-awareness uh, comes performance and how how does one come become more self-aware are, are there some habits or some exercises or or ways mm. that people can become more self-aware because i think that really does unlock a whole world of creativity when you yeah. become more self-aware. But how, how, how does someone do that, especially if they're just starting out? Well, I mean, you're right. And in fact, in, 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 in the book, at the end of every chapter, where we, where we look at each of these destination beliefs on their own, at the end of every chapter, we offer what we call a review. So you can ask yourself some of these questions. I mean, let me, let me, let me just give a, a, one example. You know, the, well, one of the challenges that you and I have discussed, one of the questions that I would ask people who want to become more influential is, just ask yourself this question, you know, how influential would you consider that you have been during the last six months in your career? How would you define influence? How influential would you like to be in the next six, nine and 12 months? And what would that look like and feel like and sound like? And I think that's also very interesting. Think about the various stakeholders that you might have in your in your in your sphere it might be customers it might be bosses it might be colleagues we all have stakeholders and think about what you would want them to say about you and the way you influence would you want them for example to say things like you know what mark is always there when i need him uh, but he's not in my face that sounds like somebody who's a bit of a thunderer. What you don't want maybe someone to say is, Mark, Mark who? Oh, yeah, that's the guy that we saw once and didn't see again. And so if you, if you can explore the behaviors that are manifest, that would, then, that would then tell you or give you a guidance as to the kind of uh, behavior you might need to think about displaying in the coming weeks and months. And that's just one simple example as to how you might start to think about shifting your behaviors and therefore altering your beliefs. That is really interesting. And I like how there's a practical application at the end of each chapter. So because some of these concepts are pretty, you know, they're not esoteric. I can't remember. I can't think of the right word. But you know, they're, mm. they're, they're big concepts that you have to kind of put, put your mind around. So to be able to narrow them into a practical application is excellent. And, you know, when I think about 
influence. I think of uh, Robert Caldini's book and those, mm-hmm. those steps that he lays out, but really taking a step back, what is influence? And then writing down what sort of influence do I want to have over the next six months? And then specifically, what am I going to do to back that up? That's really interesting to think about. I, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. I, I, if, you t- if you think about the work of uh, Professor uh, Cialdini, who I, I admire greatly, I think um, you know what, what they have done for understanding how influence has been fantastic over the years. A lot of what you see there, if you think about it, is 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 around in and around behaviors, the behavior of influence. And what we're talking about here is is the beliefs around influence. Let me, you know, let me let me take that a stage further. Dr. Cialdini and his colleagues would would talk about how you would maybe influence somebody by encouraging them to say yes more often, for example. I think that might have even been the title of the book. Was it, David, something like that? Well, that's a behavior. But if you're wanting people to say yes to you on a, on a regular basis, it might it might be that the belief you hold about influence is going to have to be something that is more similar to being a constant thump, rumble of thunder in the background rather than a lightning strike. Because if you go in as a lightning striker, wanting someone to say yes in two minutes flat, it probably isn't going to happen. So the beliefs about how you influence and why you're influencing therefore have a direct impact on the kind of influential behavior that others will observe of you, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. I I love the analogy of thunder versus lightning. And I think that you mentioned self-awareness in knowing when is the right time to strike and come in. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm thinking back to the best salespeople that I've ever worked with. You know, they were very, they were very thunder. You know, they were very thunder in their influence. You knew it was there. It, it had gravitas, you know. But they also knew exactly the right moment. Okay, this is it. Go. Boom. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's also the value of experience as well. Because, you know, if you've seen that and, and you can learn that over the years, then you know when's when the right time to strike is. It, it comes with experience, but you know, maybe by learning and listening to things like this, people can kind of accelerate that experience process and, and jump ahead a step. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I mean, I mean, what we have tried to do, and this is why we called it the salesperson secret code. If you think about it, what, we, what we've tried to do is box the careers of some of the best of the best on the planet and, and put it between two covers. And, and I hope that we have succeeded. It, it's not a panacea. You know, it's not, a, it's not an answer to every question. You know, at the end of the day, this, as far as we're concerned in terms of research, this is the start of a greater and longer, longer journey. But I hope that when people read the book, they will, they will realize that, you know, if they've ever had those moments of, oh, dear, you know, should I as a salesperson be, be afraid to admit that I fear failing? The answer is proudly say, yes, you should be afraid. You can admit that you can be afraid to, to fail, but equally, don't let it drag you down. You know, that for the first time, you know, we've got some what I might call some humility into sales. Why is it that we've always assumed that the best of the best are somehow these I don't fear failure, gorilla lightning strikers? Why? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because they don't always work out. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it, no, it just doesn't. And 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 the, as you rightly say, David, on occasion you have to strike lightning. On occasion, when you're dealing in a really tough sales environment, you might have to be a gorilla and beat your chest and say, "Dear customer, listen to me, because I do know best on this occasion." And and providing that is done in the right manner and style, then then that will be successful. But if you're a one-trick pony who always lightning strikes, who always beats your chest and who always stands there and say, well, I don't fear failing at all or, or whatever, then, you'll, then you will fail. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me, my, my son is seven and he's just started to play soccer. We call it soccer here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, football, as you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's this one kid who has a, a really strong leg and every time he gets the ball, he just boots it as hard as he can. And, yeah. but there's others that are, you know, they know the right time to get right in front of the goal and, and pop it in. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a similar analogy. I mean, you don't, you're not just a transmitter, no. you know, and, and, and you need to know when the right time to strike. Mark, this has been so interesting. I, I'm ordering the book right now. It, it's coming out later in November. I have a question. Do you ever come out to the States and, and talk to folks or work with people, especially here in the San Francisco area? Well, the answer to that is yes. I said I meant I mentioned that I work in uh, the technology space. I'll actually be out. I'll be out in the states um, uh, next week, having a few meetings. And, and um, uh, yeah, I, I always enjoy coming to America. And a number of our clients are based not a million miles from where you will be. You will be talking to me from, David. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Again, I would recommend everyone check out the book, The Salesperson's Secret Code. Mark, really appreciate it. How can we get in touch with you if we want to learn more? Sure. Well, there is a there is a website, and um, you know, if you if you if if what we've said has intrigued you, and you want to and you want to have a look at the book, there's also a website called uh, salespersons-secretcode.com, and uh, you'll find you'll find that if you search it. There's some videos on there, some further articles that uh, that we've written. And my website of my business is transformperformance.com, all one word, transformperformance.com, and you'll you'll find us there. And of course, if anybody wants to look me up on uh, LinkedIn, you'll find Mark Ridley out there on LinkedIn, and I'd be pleased to connect with uh, uh, with anybody who who is interested to find out more. And 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 I think David, the, the final point I would make about the book is that. When you read it, what we tried to do was to set up a a situation where the reader would be put into a state of what I will call reflective reflectiveness. You know, a bit of introspection never never goes amiss in this busy world of ours. You know, we're full of what we do every day. With this book, what we've tried to do is to make every salesperson consider who they are and their sense of being. And without without starting to sound overtly religious, what I hope that will do is make people curious to understand what their own balance of belief systems currently is. And uh, by the end of the year, if they follow us on the secretcode.com, uh, that they'll be able to do the psychometric for themselves and get their own get their own measure against how they score against the top five percent of salespeople we interviewed. That is an awesome offer. That's great. That's great to know. And yeah, I, I thought it would be a perfect you know, bit of data to put into an assessment and you're already one step ahead. So really looking forward to taking that. I think, you know, every entrepreneur, every business person, really everyone is involved in sales. Like (laughs) we all are selling something, whether you're a 
have the title or not, so everyone could could use that. Well, oh, one of my dogs! One of my dogs just went off. Apologies. Uh, well, there's David. another salesperson. <laughs> they want some food. Yeah. Oh boy! Oh boy! Yeah, they oh, heard the funny. builders quitting for the day because where we are, it's now it's now getting dark and horrible. So, okay. Uh, anyway, I think we call it a day, don't you? <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Mark. Enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks again for being on the Sales Development Podcast. Uh, You are very, very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.